0: One. Hello, Mary Jacobson. Nice to have you on the show. My sister from Another Mother. <laughs> right, Papa Sisters. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, uh, dude, it's a pleasure. Like I'm so excited to have you on the show because like I listened to your chat with Charles from Charles Miller Brand Denim the other day. Cause, you know, um, yeah, it was like such a great chat. And I also chat to, um, Jeremy, your boss, um, the Standard and Strange family from the Standard and Strange family. And like, you know, I would really like to continue our, com- the conversation I had with Jeremy with you because you are kind of spearheading a new, um, activist kind of direction for Standard and Strange, and you know, I really wanted to open up with this because um, it apparently it, it caused a little bit of backlash um, from a small group of of customers um, in your community. And basically, for those out there who don't um, know what we're talking about, um, so Standard and Strange are a, a beautiful retailer out based out in oakland and you know you're a men's retailer you retail like you know beautiful denim um, leather you know you know things that have been made by artisans um also like beautiful jerseys and knitwear you know things that have been made the old way and you know i guess yeah like if you can just kind of give us a little rundown of like Okay, why you chose, why it was important for you and the brand and the company to go down a more poli- voice, more political, um, you know, a more political dialogue and, you know, what kind of backlash that has and what, how this kind of new direction has kind of, um, created new meaning for you.
1: Yeah, um, I think that. Right now, especially in the United States, we're in such a unique um, political time that it's really reverberated beyond a lot of what I've experienced in my lifetime, where, um, especially with the death of George, the murder of George Floyd a couple months back, um, there was such a political uprising um, throughout the United States. And I think that it really created a level of awareness about systemic racism within our country and then the ways in which, you know, individuals like me might even uphold some of these things that are causing inequality in our society. And I think there's been a real call to reckoning for every individual to look within themselves and to really see the ways in which they might be aiding and abetting um, su- white supremacy or in the ways they might be dismantling it. And I've always been really conscious of my space within standard and strange um, as a as a woman and as somebody who is um, of color and it's always been it's been very apparent to me that there's there's a very default demographic that a lot of like the heritage community will either showcase or maybe even sometimes cater to and so that's always been something that's been very apparent to me as, Someone who felt like an outsider coming in and experiencing um, levels of discomfort at times. Sometimes perceiving other people's level of discomfort, and so I felt that it was really our responsibility as a, you know, an Americana-driven shop in Oakland, especially, which is a like historically very active Black community. I was like, you know, we definitely have to contribute in some way and be really conscious of our place within our environment. And it's really difficult, I think, when you really start to look at it. It's like, how do we accomplish that? Um, it's not an easy thing that you can just like turn on a switch because a lot of these things are very systemic. Um, but I think that as a shop, we've really been looking at ways in which we can be more inclusive, we can be more welcoming, and also support like not only our community, but um, communities at large that are marginalized across the U.S. And it's definitely been something that I think that at this point, politically in the U.S., that there is a strong level of a demand to accountability. And I think that as a shop, we're very lucky because, you know, we're all a group of like tightly knit individuals who can like safely share our views with each other and like debate things. But I also think that we've been incredibly lucky just overall because it's a lot harder to do that when you don't have the support of, you know, your workplace or your environment. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's been a really interesting, it's been an interesting journey so far. Um, I definitely think that it's something that as I as I read more, as I look into it more, as I talk to more people, I feel like there's so much work to be done. And there's just um, – yeah, there's a lot yeah. ahead.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I just want to name – like, you were kind of, you know, politely dancing around, you know, the kind of demographic that would be um, the Americana scene. Like, I've, I've – you know, I'm not going to lie. Like, okay, most – I've just looked at this, like – over the time that I've been doing, the short time that I've been doing my podcast, I've been interviewing mainly like, friends in the industry and like you know voices that i really admire and respect in the industry they've all been they've all been um caucasian men okay so but but the the ironic thing is and i'm not sure if it's true for your customer base but i definitely think it's true for the standard and strange team is that okay they're predominantly caucasian men but these are super left leaning (laughs) men actually super open minded left-leaning men you know I want to just like kind of name that you know for people who are not involved in this scene people who are outsiders if you just kind of look in and judge a book by its cover you would just basically assume that a Americana um, people who love Americana probably embrace like traditional 40s and 50s values and therefore like you know all the you know the the baggage that comes with that. And B, you know, they're all Caucasian men, um, so let's assume that they have a very conservative worldview. But to be honest, like, I have not come across that at all. Like, they're, you know, coming across a conservative person in this industry is actually quite a rare thing. So it's interesting, and I love when things – kind of evolve and and create a new meaning you know and I think the the Americana scene definitely has like like evolved and turned into a kind of we've kind of dragged this old idea into our context today and given it our own meaning like you know so it's interesting and I think um you know that's that's how we evolve as a culture, you know. That's how we, you know, if things just stayed stagnant and stayed constant and never changed, everything would die. So I think, yeah, it's interesting. You want to say something right now? Yeah, no, that is. Yeah,
1: that is I just have so many things to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, I mentioned that when I talked to Charles, like my initial – I worked in vintage prior to working at standard and strange. And my initial thought about like, you know, possibly entering in this sector of fashion was like, I felt very uncomfortable because I had a lot of those same initial feelings where like, you know, you go on a lot of these brand pages, like all their staff is white males. Their models are all white males. I'm like, what is this world like projecting? Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that what you say is very true in a way that like, I've met some very progressive people, very politically active, active minded people. And I think that it it just reminds me of like one of my friends who is here in Oakland who dresses very like straight Ivy, like very, um, very preppy, Preppy. very, you know, like tennis style, but he's like a huge punk and just like completely against, you know, like, you know, higher like dangerous hierarchies, et cetera. But it's like he dresses like in a way that I feel like a lot of people wouldn't be able to reconcile. Mm. But I think that fashion is so layered in a way where there's so many different levels to expression. And I think that can get definitely get dangerous at a certain level. Like I think a lot about, um, I've been thinking a lot about Japan and the back and forth of imagery and the consumption of popular culture. And just how some, frankly, negative imagery from like the US, for example, is still pretty popular in Japan, like, for example, like Confederate flag imagery, right? So that's that's like a layer of like, you know, I personally, like, I've been grappling with that too, because there's a level of lack of context in Japan for things like that. But I also like personally, from my context, I don't see it as acceptable. So there's layers here when interpreting history, right? Sometimes it gets a little closer to like the danger zone. Um, But even for example, um, we got an email a while back um, about um, some, we were releasing some new Eastman camo items. And we got an email about somebody who was really upset because they were saying how they were like, you know, a child of the Vietnam War and how they were so opposed to war And how could we possibly sell these things? And I thought that was such an interesting, I haven't encountered that kind of questioning Mm. in a while working at the shop, but that is something that I feel like I encountered a little bit more previously when working more on the floor with customers directly. And it's so funny because I'm now in this context where I'm so far removed from like that interpretation, but it's still like, it's interesting to me that somebody out there might react surface level Mm. to these things right because i think that's something to pay attention to as well i'm gonna
0: be honest like i definitely felt like um you know before i started my brand and it's some actually that's something i'm constantly thinking about is like how i think it's uh, okay I think it's dangerous to romanticize war. And I think sometimes brands do that unknowingly because they're not asking themselves the right questions. And I think, um, and I think a lot has to do with how, um, our generation and maybe I feel like definitely I can only speak for my generation. Like we didn't learn history thoroughly at school we, we barely touched on a lot of in, important history and therefore when when you have like a, a whole generation who like barely learned about the 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 disaster and the horror of war and the aftermath of war then you have this kind of yet you're not asking yourself the right questions and that you don't have the right motivations of, of doing stuff and I think that the men's where industry you know it does draw a lot of inspiration from military gear and rightly so because you know whenever there was war and whenever there was big technological technological advancement in you know in gear in in like um in you know how things are made it did come from war because because governments had big budgets to fund this kind of research um, but I think like conceptually, it's always something I've struggled with, with a lot of brands is why are they, you know, what is their motivation behind using these, like these ca- camos and these, like, are they, are they, yeah, are they romanticizing war and, and fighting? Yeah. And that is up to each brand, I guess. Yeah, or even when it comes
1: down to, you know, reproduction versus reinterpretation, Mm -hmm. I think that there's a lot of liberties that can be taken. I think that in some ways, you can't really have clothing, contemporary clothing, as we know it, without military innovation, you're totally right. There's so much that we owe to military innovation, however you want to judge that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I definitely think that That's something that I've responded to with, like, women's wear whenever I've looked at, like, you know, the collection, you know, synopsis or, like, you know, the manifesto. There's always, like, a very strong intention in terms of another core value that you're going off of. It's not like, oh, look at these guys look so cool while they were wearing this, you know, that's all that I care about. There's more of, like, a deeper resonance um, in terms of, like, the actual, like, like context and maybe even like emotion going into it um so i I feel like that
0: that, mm, yeah go ahead ahead. oh yeah i just i just wanted to quickly say i feel like maybe that comes from being a younger gen a new generation a younger person doing this and i definitely see this with gen z like really young kids today i think um they're a a generation that wants more than just this looks cool like they're they're really like um empathetic generation and I think they I think I have a lot I have high hopes for Gen Z actually and it's weird because yeah
1: yeah definitely I think that it's been really interesting I mean like one of the more interesting things for me too has been like you know as we you know at Standard & Strange we've been really trying to use our platform more to speak up on issues to, you know, take our time to actually put in some work towards these important issues. And what's been interesting is we've been actually getting some like critique about, you know, like not doing enough, which I actually find as like really valuable because there are so many different, this is a complex issue when mm. it comes to like being conscientious as a human being in the world, I think. And, um, especially right now with so many like, especially in the U.S., um, there's so many like high high stakes, high tension things that are really amping up the volume. But I think that really it starts with just starting to learn how to use your voice a little bit and just also yeah. trusting in because that's something that has really helped me in my time um, in this industry is just really trusting my voice and learning how to trust that if I'm feeling a certain way, there's probably other people mm. who will act My emotions and just um, because it has been hard um, at times feeling a little bit isolated because, you know, like as a shop, we're the only shop like in Oakland, really. And there isn't much of a direct sense of community as if I'm thinking as compared to if you were like in Tokyo with like all the different shops where, you know, there's tons of like, like, um, like minded people just right around you. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I would feel very isolated and just especially at when i was the only woman working at standard and strange i i always felt very hesitant to voice some of my feelings there but mm-hmm. as i really learned to to recognize and value that it's kind of come outward for me in terms of where i'm like it's not just about making sure that someone like me feels comfortable it's making sure that you know anybody approaching into our shop gets a little bit more of an understanding of where we're coming from instead of that, like initial, like, Oh, there's a lot of white guys here Mm. feeling, which, you know, some people unfortunately do get, um, which by the way, I find it really ironic because I feel like there's so many, so many powerful female players and like so many powerful, like, players who are of color and it's just I, I don't find that that's representative really at all no. of like like the people I actually talk to and the like the vendors I work with um it so I feel like there's a real mismatch between like the projected audience and then the real audience and who's really yeah. involved
0: I think um yeah like I keep thinking of, like thinking of this that old saying never but judge a a book by its cover because i think like it's so outdated to be judging people based on yeah their race and like their what lane they're in what what identity group they come from because like i'd like to think that we all judge each other by our own consciousness like consciousness so like you know i'd rather judge someone by by how they think and and how they reason and and how they question rather than just like what they look like what kind of things they're into because we've become such a diversified globalized society worldwide that you know everyone has their own personal reasons for liking something and you can't quickly jump on a negative like a negative reasoning for like why that person might might like something. You know, like I think, yeah, I think like identity politics is something that's really, um, you know, in the forefront of of news and of the political dialogue today, especially in America. And, you know, America has been so divided, it's become so polarized and divided that something like wearing a mask has become a – a source of like people getting angry at each other for. So, you know, like for me coming from, you know, watching all this from Bangkok, um, a completely different world, you know, where we wouldn't think twice about starting an argument with someone for not wearing a mask or wearing a mask, that, you know, it's, it's a whole new world. And I just feel like people I just, if anything, I just want to stress to people, you cannot judge a book by its cover. And I think you and I, like, can totally relate to that because we probably have a similar, um, we've probably encountered similar things having grown up, like, as, you know, Eurasian, um, people, like, who probably look a little more Caucasian than, than Asian. And, like, we probably have similar experiences, like, in both um, the Western world and in Asian countries where we are always misjudged um, automatically. Um, so, I oh, feel yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh,
1: just those things, I think, I've been actually talking to so many, I've been bonding with a lot of um, people of, you know, who are mixed with Asian and white or with Anything else, and it's just been so interesting because it's there's such a common bond in the feeling of the lack of relating to your um, the, the lack of feeling whole in your identity, and I feel like that's the actually the one common ground among people who are mixed is that you will actually feel more connected to others who are of that similar experience because neither neither one of your like parents, for example, has your experience. Mm. Um and I I've been finding it really interesting because I do think that it it's been a big part of the way that I see the world. For example, like just how you're saying with the masks. It's so many people here are the mask issue a lot it's like most people aren't happy about it, like the fact that people are like going crazy and they won't wear a mask, but it's not like we're like you said like in areas where mask wearing is really common as like a polite practice, it's like completely abhorrent to think that people would not participate. Right. Mm. And that's been yeah. adding to my like sense of frustration because I have that added context of like mm. knowing that there's a different way to be. And it's been pretty mind blowing for me, especially throughout the pandemic, because um, I just want to go to Japan. <laughs> but I I, yeah. I I can't do that right now. I'm like, Oh, I wish it, it was like, a little less sounds a little less scary over there. Yeah, people actually cooperate.
0: I feel like um, I just keep coming. Like this has been this this theme that I keep drawing feeling drawn to uh since the start of the pandemic but always you know beforehand I've always been interested in this idea of like the common good and like you know when we have a divided society there are no common goals and there are no common there's no common morality amongst each other to like you know do the right thing because it's right not because it, it is a political statement or it is you know uh, I'm i'm identifying with this particular group it's like we are we are all humans we all need to exist together and we all want the best for our future and for the kids and the kids kids you know so what can we do together to make this work out and it's like i feel like just watching these crazy viral videos of people arguing in the street in such an aggressive aggressive kind of ah it's yeah really aggressive nasty way and it just hurts my soul to see this kind of behavior when you know we are all it's like we're all struggling together it's not like it's not like each we it's not like none there are people in society that have no no hardship you know so it's like I think that's what culturally what is so different between where I am in Thailand and where you are in America is like this collective goal, this kind of morality that, that everybody shares and people, you know, people treat each other with respect and with, with good value, with moral values. I think like, um, so I've been reading this book by Jonathan Sachs. It's called Morality. And I, have brought it up a couple of times in the last week because I, I really think that it hits on this, this idea that in the sixties, um, there was a huge cultural shift and morality, that was kind of, um, the, the kind of shift the fall of religion and the focus from the we, the collective we, to the, to the I, the me, me, me society. And, and what happened was morality was outsourced to, to politics and to corporation. And so we, we decided that it was kind of, that was as, as a me centric society, we decided that that was kind of where we were headed. But there were so many crazy, you know, Implications that happened, you know, as a result. And that's kind of where, where we're at today is this really divided, um, yeah, political situation. And I just want people to like take care of each other. Like that's to me, goodness exists in all people and in all aspects of, in every corner of the universe. And we need to like use that. Good energy to like share amongst each other.
1: I think. I mean, I think that that brings up a lot for me. Um, I think that, at least where I stand right now in the U.S., I feel like it, it's the division and the, the the disconnect with politics because you know politics and like our current regime has like a huge effect on our society in some really critical ways, but there's such a disconnect between like the feeling of being able to do something about that. Mm. And that that's been really contributing to like a large feeling of dystopia. And I think also a lack of agency for a lot of people. Um, That's something where like, I've I've personally been struggling a little bit to, I, I feel like it's been a conscious battle of trying to negate that because it is a very strong presence that I perceive and so I think part of like, you know, with trying to be a little bit more politically active and trying to push the shop to be more politically aware as well, it's been a way for me to combat that those those feelings of that divide and of that helplessness where it, it, it doesn't feel like the power is necessarily with the individual right now. But then mm-hmm. I think that there are a lot of meaningful ways in society that you can connect to others and can contribute independent of, you know, politics or anything like that. So I think that right now, you know, really reclaiming things that you can do directly to, you know, foster a sense of community is really crucial because right now it's been pretty terrifying. But at the same time, I think that the human spirit that's been rising up has been really resilient. And Mm -hmm. I've, I've seen a lot more of like a collective, like, let's all get through this together than I expected in a way.
0: So I am encouraged by that. Mm, That's really like high, that's a really high vibe thing to to see like forming, you know, this collective, we're all in this together. Um, And so going back to judging a book by, not judging a book by its cover, Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you like, so what did draw you initially to Americana and and Americana like products made in, in that light?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, It really started with, um, I was working at a uh, vintage shop previous to Standard & Strange where I was a buyer and I was just, you know, processing bags and bags of clothing every day. And um, it was pretty routine, you know, you see mostly the same things, but I started to become completely attracted to anything that was, you know, older than 60s and especially menswear because I would... Basically be operating solely on touch. I would, you know, pick up something, be like, mm. okay, let's touch it first. And then you just kind of see how it's made and you just take it from there. But I was just noticing, you know, as you're constantly scanning for quality, I was like, menswear is just consistently higher. It, and then also all of the older vintage, I was like, this is all incredible, incredible stuff. Especially if it was, you know, a vintage 40s item in great condition is going to be like, you
0: know, mm. a,
1: incredible substance and so that started to get me more interested in in denim specifically because I started to realize you know there's a lot of different types out there and there's a lot of different levels and then also just menswear in general because I was really attracted to like the level of detail of intentional detail too Mm -hmm especially when you start finding historical garments where you're like, why does it have a funky pocket like that? And then you look it up and then there's a cool backstory. And then it's, it's much more exciting than like, why does this woman's jean have a pocket that's like, you know, this shallow. And so Mm -hmm. that really started to lead me down a path of being interested in shops more locally in my area. So there's like self edge and, you know, standard and strange where I first, um, I first fell in love with capital where I like walked in and there was a ring coat and I was just first really interested in the, the capital, the cloth tag. Yeah. Cause you know how it's like the white tag and then it has an italic it says capital red. Yeah. And I just so immediately attracted to the tag. I was like, this is a beautiful <laughs> tag and a beautiful garment. And I was just like, so enthralled by it. I thought it was like a vintage. I was like, this can't possibly be vintage, but it, the way it's executed, mm. I was interested. And so I started to get like horribly obsessed with capital and then it, it, it stopped. It it all started (laughs) there, but I really did start from a pure attraction. I would say, um, I do have some, I think a lot of my background kind of forced, like forced me towards that. Like this Mm. is something that's silly, but, um, here in the U S we had like a doll series called American girl doll. And they're like, these dolls that are maybe like this big and they back in the day they were like historically themed and my doll was from it was the world war ii themed one so it came with all these like um like it came with like a dickey, like a wartime mm-hmm. like because people would wear dickies instead of shirts and like all these things and i became so fascinated with world war ii from then and so i think that once the dots started connecting and i was like oh my gosh like all of these things that I was into and then especially moving towards getting into military clothing, it all just started to click for me where Mm -hmm. I was like, this is all something that really makes sense to me. And it's something that I just find on a purely technical level also, just really interesting. Yeah, Like once you're getting into like development of certain technologies, it's fascinating. Like I really like zippers and just like looking at the technology over the years, it's just something that's, I think it's it's on par with anything like, you know, like cars or motorcycles, things like that, where there's so much depth to it that you can really... I think it is something that is obsessible.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And there are plenty of people super obsessed with all of those details in, like... You know, I mean, like,
1: it's like... Yeah, like Gary Eastman with, like, he can just write about A2s, right? Yeah. You know, it's like for any given subject, there's so much.
0: Yeah, I think it was super interesting. I just had this thought of like, when you were talking about working in the vintage shop and the difference in detail between men's and women's pieces and how you were drawn to pieces like older than the sixties. It made me think, you know, actually like the difference was that usually women made their own clothes at home like back in those times, and 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 like workwear that was made in a factory was for men. Like I mean, it wasn't until like World War Two when women came into like the the labor force, um, because all the men were out at war, and and women needed to pull their, do their part on the home front. You know, so you had like in the UK you had like the Women's Land Army where they were all doing farming and growing crops, and then you had women coming into the factories um, and they were wear that's when they were starting to wear all the the work wear and those wonderful pieces like um and I think that's kind of interesting like I think that's always fascinated me when that that cross in world war ii when that cross did happen that cultural shift did happen and like i think it says a lot for who where women are today and i think like that's been my fascination about um workwear and and how how men's gear was always made with much more intention and much more functionality because just just purely because they were the ones doing all the work but now as a woman today we have such different um you know we have such different meaning and different we have such different roles in society that we're really kind of carving out a new you know a new culture like you know women haven't had the the roles in society as we do today you know before the before World War II that was just unheard of and in, in the space of time you know of like man humankind you know that's like a speck of sand on a timeline of you know so so there are so many implications of where this is going and I think there we have been dealing with the teething problems of that for the last the past you know many decades um so like yeah it's I find it really interesting when I when I meet other women who are really fascinated by by vintage and 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 this area um like for you like does that you know does that cross cross pollination give you any kind of me- different meaning you know like do you what do you kind of want for this what direction do you want for this industry to go in
1: um, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a really good question. I mean, I think that there's a lot I would like to see. I think that first and foremost, I think that there's a general woe of representation. I think that there, the level of representation needs to be a lot more deliberate moving forward with, um, just like across the board in general. I think that there needs to be a little bit more there needs to be more voices heard from um, people who are involved who may not be like the dominant face of behind certain operations, businesses, shops, et cetera. I think that in general, there needs to be more of a celebration of like the kind of the actual audience that we have here, not just like a perceived audience or a projected audience. Um, So I would really like to see, not only like showcasing all sorts of different people in terms of like you know models, um, like campaigns, things like that, but also just really listening to what people want. I think just especially when it comes to the men's wear, uh, the women's wear um, sector, it gets it gets very murky, and I think that there's a lot of projection happening without actually understanding what people want and I think that people are really sick of that people are sick of um feeling like they're being pandered to with like you know where there's a men's brand and then they have a women's line that is of noticeably lower quality for example I think that people are really starting to not want to take that Mm -hmm. um I think that one thing that a lot of brands and shops can do is just really seriously listen to feedback moving forward like for example like with With our shop, we've been getting all sorts of feedback, especially like politically. And some of it is just, you know, like racist people wanting to rant. But some of it is really critical and legitimate, too. And I think that we've only started to get that kind of criticism because we've opened up our platform a little bit more. And I think that's really important because Mm. people aren't going to, generally speaking, I'm not the kind of person where I like find a brand and I'm like, oh, they might be doing something I don't agree with and just message them about it you know, if there's more of like an active conversation and it's not because the internet isn't very conducive, first of all, for, you know, communicating these sort of things. But I think that if as a company, brands or shops, et cetera, can kind of show that they're more for the people, I think that there's only good that can come from that because, you know, as a brand, I think that, you know, moral responsibility is a really tough argument. Um, Or it's like, are you responsible as a shop or as a brand to be political or to be part of, you know, like eco-conscious? You know, there's so many different things out there. And I think that's a very complicated debate. But just me personally, and from what I've seen, I think that maybe it might be a big jump for some, some people to like be like explicitly political, but at least to focus on inclusivity is really important right now, mm. I think.
0: Yeah, so I think, being conscious. yeah, being conscious. I feel like in my perfect world, in my utopia, um, yeah, I just, I would want all businesses, all individuals to do the right thing at their best capacity, full stop. <laughs> like is that so hard you know like and it's i think it it can be hard (laughs) yeah i know right and it's it's especially hard at scale so when yeah when you have you know When you expand and you grow into such a huge scale where every small aspect of, of the operations are compartmentalized, um, then it gets really hard because then you have communicate communication issues and, and things get broken down too small, which is what I think is the problem of, of mass scale anything. Um, but yeah, like in my perfect world, I, I'm a, a big fan of, um, an economy, the economist called, um, Robert Reich. And, um, he wrote this awesome book called Saving Capitalism. And he's, he's got a really strong, um, you know, political voice right now. Um, he has a YouTube channel and yeah, he's always, always, um, making awesome content. But he, you know, he observed that, you know, you know, back in the, st- 80, 70s and 80s and it transitioned in the 90s but back then um, small business you, there were enough small businesses to kind of counterbalance this corporation basically the effect of the of corporation on our economy now our economy is about people it's not about money it's about people and it's about how you treat people and how how you It's about community, really. And so back then, you know, there were enough small businesses. There was enough thriving diversity of small business to countervail corporation. But nowadays, um, that, that balance is completely, um, you know, tipped towards corporation. But in my, in my perfect world, it would, you know, we would be able to support a diverse, Range of small businesses, life would become so much more interesting because there would be so many. Yeah. And if you think about Japan, you know, like you go to, you go to any, you know, city in, in Japan and there'll be this like tiny bar that can seat like four or five people and they're like playing dope music and like the the guy behind the bar who owns the bar he like loves his job and you go how do these people survive like it you know in, in most other countries you wouldn't be able to open a, a random super niche bar that like plays a really niche specific time period of reggae or whatever and like be able to survive but that is what makes life so interesting you know so that's my hope yeah for yeah
1: what's so interesting to me is like those shops like those in japan that you're talking about which i'm instantly filled with joy just thinking (laughs) about yeah i'm thinking about a curry place in yokohama that we've gone to like on buying trips where it's like it's like tropical themed and like (laughs) You know, it seats like three people and we got curry at like maybe 11 in the morning. And some people came in after us and they were like, is, you still have curry? And he was out already. <laughs> he's like, no more curry for the day. But it's what's crazy to me. is So I was actually talking to Jeremy about how do these business, I was like, how does this business stay open? If he's a curry shop and his lunch curry is out at like 11 a.m. You know, And Jeremy was like, you know, well, like, for a lot of people in Japan, you know, the salary man life is so crushing mm. that there people would rather, like, have their small bar and, you know, play their, like, niche reggae and, like, just <laughs> make minimal money but just, you know, exist on their own terms. Yeah. And I, I think that's so interesting, too, because I think that that's such a great example of, like, that stark contrast to, like, the corporate life where... I mean, in Japan, people literally, there's karoshi, which is, like, Mm. when people die at work, right? Because people just don't take care of themselves and they work so hard. And people karoshi all the time.
0: Which is, like, mind-blowing to think about, like, death from work.
1: Yeah, it's literally karoshi is, like, too much work death. And it's, like, you know, it's, it's not something that should be a thing. And so it makes sense. You're, like, I totally get why I would... I feel like I too would much rather be making my curry than you know working.
0: I don't even death. know how
1: the average work week is in Japan, but
0: how yeah, do I think right, work I- to death, like like that would be some <laughs> serious hours and serious lack of sleep. I guess you can die really quickly from lack of sleep.
1: I think it's it mostly is with um, really high pressure professionals like um, like surgeons or like lawyers and things. So like people who spend like multiple multiple nights at the office, for example, or like you know they don't go home and they don't eat for like like a week straight or something. Um, but yeah, it's it sounds insane, but you know the human spirit is really it has to be nurtured. You can't just yeah. work all the time. And I think that there's definitely a dangerous tipping point right now where that's like people have forgotten. I think especially right now in the U S it's especially terrifying, but it's like, how can you live like a, a thriving life as a part of a society when there's so many pressures to, mm-hmm. you know, just make a living or yeah. to just get through through times. And I really do hope I'm very scared for the state of U S manufacturing and U S um, small retail because mm. right now it's going to be a huge challenge, huge challenge for shops to stay open
0: Yeah,
1: um, even here in Oakland it's been really heartbreaking to see what small businesses have been going out of business like we have this amazing small shop that only sold magazines like they had like you know zines and like indie publications and all this and they were around for like 13 years and then the pandemic just shut them down Man. And so I think that that's definitely been hard to swallow. And I think I'm really just trying to root for the small businesses and yeah. shop small moving forward because, you know, yeah. I think it'll take a while to rebuild till we can get back to the point where we'll have that uh, again.
0: Yeah, absolutely. One thing that I've, a positive thing that I've seen is that consumers, I mean, I guess in from my my customers have been really making a huge effort to support, um, you know, what they believe in, and and also like publications as well, um, have been you know doing their best to share, you know, share things of of people who are doing things right, and that gives me a lot of hope and positivity. Um, but yeah, like I. I sent out our, our, you know, I'm doing our wholesale campaign right now for spring, summer 21. I sent out, you know, uh, on our mailing list, like, you know, the new season stuff. And like, as soon as I sent that out, like there were like 20 or 30 emails that came back, like automatic replies to say, I'm not, I'm no longer working for this brand or company anymore or their stores, like who've been in business 10, 20, 30 years, who've yeah. been like we are no, we are permanently closed, which is like really heavy. Yeah, yeah.
1: Because it's not just it's not just you know that cool shop on the corner. It's like you know the people who work there. Mm. That was like their love and energy, you know. Yeah. And I, it's definitely, I, it's been. I've been trying to balance. I think hope is a definitely a difficult emotion or I don't know if that's a mo- emotion, but it's been a, a tough thing for me to grapple with lately because it has been a time where I'm like, it's time to be, you have to take things really seriously mm. right now, face the realities. And I think sometimes hope feels a little bit dissonant with that mm. because hope is like, Oh, it'll get better. Like things will.
0: Well, there's think- blind hope. And then yeah. there's. But more- there's nuance. Right? Yeah. There's, yeah.
1: I think that, I think that hope might be a little, might not be the right word, but definitely we need optimism and we need to, you know, really steel ourselves with the human spirit. And like, like you said, like take comfort in like the people who are supporting you mm. and to just really put yourself out there in ways that you can also give back and feel, yeah. feel the optimism yeah. come back.
0: Well, on that note, we are just out of time, but we could have talked for like for hours and hours on this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You'll have to come back on the, on the podcast again. Um, yeah, for people who want to follow what you're doing and your awesome style and, and the awesome factories that you visit and, and the activism that you are, you are radiating. How can they do that?
1: Yes, you can find me on Instagram. My handle is Shunga Cowgirl. It's very raunchy, I know. Um, <laughs> but you can also find me through Standard & Strange. Um, you can email me at standardandstrange.com. Um, and follow our activism. We post pretty often. Um, and I also post links on my personal profile for what you can do for each week, every Friday. I try to compile a list of, you know, active causes. Um Usually it's U.S. based, but it's usually pretty comprehensive with a variety of things. So you can come Amazing. join me as we try to keep our spirits up around
0: yeah. here. Yeah, keep that good vibe going. Thanks, Mari. Thank you so much, Lauren. Oh pleasure. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you. <laughs>